Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. A young married couple approached me at the close of a service with these words, Pastor, we have a story for you. Well, I knew it was a good story, and I knew it was an amusing story because of the huge smiles on their, that they wore, and their story went like this. Our five-year-old, Melina, came home from church last week telling us that she saw Jesus and that Jesus spoke to her. She was very matter-of-fact, and, but, and, but she was adamant when we pressed her, when we questioned her a little bit, yes, Daddy, yes, Mommy, uh, it's true. Well, the parents said we were puzzled and but pleased, I guess, and we said no more. And then this morning, they said, when you came up on the stage to deliver the sermon, Melina looked at us and said, there he is, that's him. <laughs> that's Jesus. Of course, I was flattered. And I would like to think that Melina mistook me for Jesus on that day because she thought that I was a lot like Jesus. But as I gave it some thought, I realized that probably her thinking went more like this. Uh, they're always talking about Jesus around here, and that guy's always up there talking, so he must be Jesus. <laughs> I do claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you? And it is my goal, and it is my prayer to think like Jesus, to speak like Jesus and to act like Jesus. Is that your prayer? Pastor Charles Sheldon wrote a book 127 years ago, and uh, the, the book is titled In His Steps. And the subtitle of the book is What Would Jesus Do? And that book sold over 30 million copies all down through the decades sense, it, it seemed to strike a chord among believers. It, it's like believers uh, realize that if we're going to follow Jesus, we ought to do what he did. About 30 years ago, the abbreviation for what would Jesus do, WWJD, uh, was wildly popular, especially in the United States and Canada, and it was placed on wristbands, very similar to the one that I have on here today, WWJD. And it was worn by millions of Christians back then, especially youth. Now, I suppose, and maybe it would please some of you, if I concluded the sermon now by saying to you, this matter of Jesus is ultimately a matter of answering this question, what would Jesus do, and then proceeding to do it. That's true, but I'm not done with the sermon yet, so stay with me a few more minutes. I'd like to take you a little deeper than that. I'd like to spell it out for you more, and so we're going to take another walk through the grain fields this morning. Come with me, Matthew chapter 12, and here's what we're considering today. What's this matter of following Jesus all about? Matthew 12, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath, the disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some 
heads of grain and eating them. But the Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. When I think of following Jesus, the prayer of St. Richard of Chichester, who lived 800 years ago, his prayer comes to mind. It went like this. May I know you more clearly, love you more dearly, follow you more nearly day by day. That is my prayer. Is that your prayer? So come with me now for a closer look at this story in Matthew 12 as we consider this matter, this matter of following Jesus. I want you to notice five things from this story. And the first thing is this. This matter of following Jesus, it's not a matter of following rules. No, it's not. It's not a matter of following rules. Matthew, this story opens with Jesus' followers, the hungry followers, the hungry disciples. They were apparently oblivious to what rules might apply on this occasion. So what were they doing? They were walking through grain fields, and they broke off the heads of grain, and they were eating. Meanwhile, these fanatical, frenzied Pharisees, certainly not followers of Jesus, obviously enemies of Jesus, began to criticize. Verse 2 tells us, but some Pharisees saw them. And these Pharisees knew the rules. They knew them all. You see, the Pharisees of that day were the guardians of the law. They were the teachers of the law. And so, of course, they were keepers of the law. And when I say the law, I'm not just talking to you this morning about the Big Ten. I'm not just talking about the, the Ten Commandments when I say the Pharisees kept the law. No, they knew, they taught, they kept hundreds and hundreds of laws all of the laws written in the Torah, that's the first five books of the Old Testament. The moral law, even the dietary laws, and the cleanliness laws, and even the cultural laws, and the customs, plus, plus all of the oral traditions. That simply means all of the practices that were passed down 
word of mouth through the centuries, the Pharisees kept all them, all those laws too. So now we're up to thousands, thousands of laws and rules. There were 39 actions that were forbidden on the Sabbath alone. And among them, among those 39 would be reaping, winnowing, threshing, and preparing a meal. And the disciples broke all four. And as you see here, the Pharisees were all over them. They broke off the heads of grain. That's reaping. They rubbed them in their hands. That's winnowing. No, that's threshing. And then they blew the chaff away. That's winnowing. And they were preparing a meal, breaking the law. So you see these obsessive, obstinate Pharisees had reduced worshiping God and honoring him to following laws and rules. Hear me, they totally missed it. And this matter of following Jesus, hear this truth this morning, this matter of following Jesus is not a matter of following rules. It's not. The, the owners of the American fast food chain Chick-fil-A have a long-standing policy against Sunday openings. When we go down Bangor Way, we usually find our way to Chick-fil-A, and they'll be there as long as it's not Sunday. But you, but you could say that they're not pharisaical about their no Sunday opening law. Their, their stance has some wiggle room to it. For Chick-fil-A, an exception occurred just over five years ago, December 17th of 2017. On that day, the Atlanta International Airport was hit with a complete blackout. And it resulted in hundreds of canceled flight and countless stranded passengers. And the city of Atlanta scrambled to find accommodation and food for these thousands of passengers. And they tweeted this. Chick-fil-A will provide food for the passengers. Now, the owners of Chick-fil-A are Jesus' followers, and they realized, they realized that this matter of following Jesus is not a matter of simply following rules. But these smug, self-righteous Pharisees that we see here in Matthew 12 were diligent about keeping the rules, but they could not have been further from God. Tragic. Hear the application to this. We can be careful. We can be very careful to live upright, moral lives, just in all our dear dealings, be a good person, and still miss it. We can. That's possible. One of the most sobering scriptures in all of the Bible, in my mind, is found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22, where Jesus makes this statement as he closes that great Sermon on the Mount. He says, many will say to me on that day, referring to judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And then they'll say, they'll give a list of all the rules they kept and all the good things they did. And Jesus said, I will respond to them, I don't know you. This matter of following Jesus is not a matter of simply following rules. That's number one. Here's two. This matter of following Jesus is certainly, certainly not a matter of making sure other people follow the rules. That's what the Pharisees thought it was about. Verse 2 we see there again. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. 
They had their finger pointing at the disciples. Look, your disciples are breaking the law. Ah, will these Pharisees forever be with us? These grain field gripers? Not only were they strict rule keepers, they were all about making sure that everyone else kept the rules too. Later in our story, we've read it already, here it is again, the Pharisees, uh, verse 10, now we're in the synagogue. Jesus has just noticed the man with the deformed hand, and the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath day? You see what they were doing? Pointing a finger. They were hoping he would so yes, say yes so they could bring charges against him. Now maybe I should pause here long enough to, to remind us all. It does need to be said that the scriptures, according to Paul the Apostle, when he wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, it's recorded in the scripture in Timothy, that the scriptures are useful to correct us when we are wrong. But hear me. That is to be done kindly, and it's to be done firmly and gently and lovingly by those mature in the faith who are assigned by the church to do it. But that's such a far different thing than these fault-finding, critical, judgmental, condemning, malicious Pharisees. They totally missed it. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminded us that it's not our business to be pointing our fingers towards others and judging them when he said, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You see what Jesus is saying there? He's reminding us all that, that don't judge people. You're not good enough to do it, for one thing. And then, he, and then he seems to be saying, don't judge people. Not only are you not good enough, you're not smart enough either. We don't know the whole story of people that we might be inclined to criticize. We don't know their life yet. The Barna Research Group recently did a, an extensive study that, that shows how those outside the church view those inside the church. And here's one of their key findings. Said Barna, nearly 9 out of 10 outsiders, 87% is the exact percentage, 9 out of 10 said that the term judgmental actu accurately describes Christians. That makes me sad to read a stat like that. A few years ago, I spent a week at the Bowery Mission in lower Manhattan. They have a, a tremendous mission there still do to street people. And they had a truck that they used to take meals out to the various parks and feed people. And the uh, side of the truck had Jesus' words, I will make you fishers of men. But across the the, the, frill, the, the grill of the truck were these words, we catch them, Jesus cleans them. That's it. That's it. This matter of following Jesus is not a matter of judging others. It's, it's not a matter of making sure, us making sure that they follow the rules. 
I often read E. Stanley Jones, author, missionary, pastor, uh, moved to the church up higher years ago. He said, the center of the Christian faith is not a judgment seat, but a cross. This matter of following Jesus is not a matter of making sure others toe the line, follow the rules. Here's number three. This matter of following Jesus is a matter of doing the sensible thing. It's, it's unbelievable how sensible this matter of following Jesus is. And I take you back to the beginning. It says that, that about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, I should stop there and remind you, Jesus knew all about the Sabbath laws. He, he knew them better than the Pharisees did. And uh, so the, the verse goes on, says his disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. You see that? They were hungry, so what did they do? Well, they did the sensible thing. They ate. Later, over in the synagogue, Jesus, when he noticed the man with the deformed hand, the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath day? And Jesus answered and said, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, if you had a sheep, fall in the well, you'd simply do the sensible thing. This matter of following Jesus is a matter of doing the sensible, sensible thing. I, I grew up in the 50s and 60s in a church where there were Pharisees that had a lot of influence. And I was, a, I was in a Sunday school class as a boy, 12, 13, 14, there were 15 to 20, I suppose, other boys in that class from all over the town. But by the time they were, by the time we were all 16 and 17, they were all gone, except for maybe two or three of us, and one was my brother. Why? Why, where, why did they all leave? And I believe it has much to do with the rules that we insisted on. Many of them made, to my 16-year-old mind, made no sense. They still don't make sense. Not sensible. A couple of, for instances, back in those days, playing cards. They were, I know this shocks some of you, can't believe some of the things maybe we had rules for. Playing cards were forbidden. Well, why would that be? Well, those cards are used to gamble, and gambling's a vice, isn't it? Doesn't the scripture refer to gambling? It does. And so uh, we don't use them because of their association with gambling. That's not sensible. And how about the movie theater? Forbidden. Oh, but we can go to Cinderella, right? No, wrong. Sound of Music? No, sorry. Mickey Mouse? No. Doesn't matter. It was all forbidden. Why? Well, the answer that I received, my young mind heard, but I thought, that's crazy, was this. Some shows that come there and are shown in that building aren't fit to watch. That probably was true and still is. So it's wrong to enter. The building then is a bad building, and you're not allowed to enter there, and that's not sensible. And I'm afraid, when I think back to the church of my youth, I'm afraid our approach to people with harmful habits and addictions and deep problems, was more like this. Uh, 
you go get your life cleaned up now and then come and join us, okay? Not sensible. And absolutely not Jesus' approach. How like Jesus. How like Jesus and how sensible is the celebrate recovery approach. I mean, what a, what a ministry and a tool used by the Holy Spirit in this 21st century. Amazing. You know, I don't, I'm not part of Celebrate Recovery, but as I understand it, their approach is more like this. Come whoever you are. Whatever you've, you've done in the past or whatever you're doing now, and we'll help you. That's sensible, and that's Jesus' approach. And this matter of following Jesus is a matter of doing the sensible thing. I have five. Here's number four. This matter of following Jesus, it's a matter of doing the loving thing. It went, it went right over those angry, arrogant Pharisees' head when Jesus looked at them. They were attacking him, and Jesus looked at them and said... I want you to show mercy, not make sacrifices. Jesus is saying here, I want you to do the loving thing, not stick to your heartless rule following. Jesus is saying, listen you guys, love is the highest law. Don't you see? Loving others takes precedence over every other rule you might think is important. Do the loving thing. But you know, I don't know, sometimes it seems to me we, confusing, we, we, we get confused about what loving people really means. About a month ago, in the days, just two or three days before Valentine's Day, February the 14th, the Toronto Zoo uh, put an ad out there that said, for a donation of $25, We'll name a cockroach after your ex. <laughs> That's not loving. You have to love your ex, you know, if you have one. And, and then this went with it. Roses are red, violets are blue. Is there someone in your life who is bugging you? Name a cockroach after them. Jesus, listen. Jesus left no doubt about what he meant by doing the loving thing. None whatsoever. And I'm reading to you again. Then he said to the man with the deformed hand, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand and it was restored like the other one. Are you watching The Chosen these days? Well, if, you, if, you're, if you're not, you should be. First season's on Netflix, and you can pick up the rest. What's the network? Angel Network, I think it is. Thursday of this week, I watched that miracle. And the man with the hand all turned in, so the fingers here touched his arm way up here, and Jesus spoke to him. <laughs> Deeply moving. Amazing. You see, for Jesus, doing the loving thing, <laughs> it wasn't complicated for Jesus. Why is it for us sometimes? It was simply finding hurting people and helping them. Jesus, after telling these defiant, deaf Pharisees that if your sheep fell into a well, you'd, you'd get him out on the Sabbath, 
Wouldn't you? And then he added these words, and this, they missed this too. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Do you understand? Do you really understand the value that Jesus puts on you? Do you know how very much God loves you? Regardless of what has gone on or is going on in your life, God loves you. Rick Warren, recently retired from that great church in California, Saddleback, was recalling a time when he was speaking at a prison to an audience of about 5,000 inmates. And as he told it, he says, no one was paying attention to me of the 5,000 except 200 right up front. He said, I didn't have a platform. I was standing on level ground, no stage, just a microphone. But he said the microphone could be heard throughout the entire yard. So he said, I, I took out a $50 bill and held, up, held it up and said, how many of you would like this $50 bill? And he said, now I had the attention of 5,000. 5,000 hands went up. He said, then I crumpled the bill in my hands and tore it a bit and said, how many of you would still like to have this $50 bill? 5,000 hands went up. Then he said, I spat on the $50 bill. And I threw it on the ground and I stomped it into the dirt. And then I held it up and said, how many of you would like it now? And 5,000 hands went up. Then Warren said, now for many of you, this is what your father did to you. You've been mistreated, you are abused, you are misused, you were told that you wouldn't amount to anything, you've done a lot of dumb things, you've sinned, you've done some crimes, and you're paying for those crimes, and you've been beaten, and you've been torn, and you've, and you've been dirty, but you have not lost one cent of your value to God. God loves you. And he loves in particular to help the hurting. Bible scholar William Barclay says, we will not be judged by the number of church services we have attended or by the number of chapters of the Bible we have read or even by the number of hours we have spent in prayer. But we will be judged by the number of people we have helped when their need came crying to us. This matter of following Jesus, it's a matter of doing the loving thing. And here's the fifth and the last. This matter of following Jesus, it's ultimately a matter of, of acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Jesus stood there in front of those Pharisees that day. This happened over and over and over again in Scripture. Jesus stood face to face, eye to eye, with these blind and broken Pharisees. And he said in this passage, I tell you there is one here. Now he's talking about himself. There is one here who is even greater than the temple. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Wouldn't you think... Wouldn't, wouldn't you think at this point that those Pharisees, wouldn't you think they would drop to their knees and cry out, you're him. It's you. You're the Messiah we've been looking for. You are Lord. Didn't happen. 
Maybe you remember this TV commercial from a few years ago. A young man was struggling whether to go through with an arranged marriage. In his home country, arranged marriages were the norm, but after living in the United States for a few years, he was having second thoughts about adhering to this ancient custom, especially since he had never met his wife-to-be. Still, when she flew into the airport, he dutifully waited for her, flowers in hand, gloomy expression on his face. But when she stepped into the terminal, everything changed. Suddenly, his, his glum demeanor disappeared, and the thought of marrying this woman was no longer a dreaded duty. It was a delight. What had changed? He saw her. And these Pharisees, so lacking, so lost, they could not see him. And he stood right there. They could not see him. At least not for who he was. They couldn't see that he, standing before them, was the Lord, the creator God of the universe, standing right there in human form. And he stands before every one of us today. Can you see him? How will you respond? Uh, friends, this morning, this matter of following Jesus is ultimately a matter of acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Have you done that? Will you do it here this morning with me? Did you know that the very first creed in the first century church, the Christian, the first creed, was not the 107-word Apostles' Creed that we sometimes say together. That came 300 years later. No, the first creed had only three words. It's mentioned in Romans chapter 10. It says, if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's the creed, there's the three words, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, there seems to be two conditions there for being saved. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Every Christian in the first century was expected to declare it and say it with their mouth, say it aloud. Wouldn't you like to do that this morning? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Let's say it in full voice, that first century creed together. Are you ready? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Oh, we can do better than that. Full voice. Say it together with me. Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Praise God. What a great.